that time of year again. The snow is coming down and people are preparing for the holidays. Today, we would love to talk about a bunch of different traditions that students here at Fairview practice, some of which you might only know in name. We're going to explore the science behind the catchiness of holiday music, and you'll even get to hear an interview with a member of the Colorado Ballet. I'm Alaya. I'm Miles. And you're listening to Musible. off, one of our very own Fairview students, Camilla, is going to talk to us about one of the traditions in her family, Noche Buena. Hi, so Noche Buena is a Cuban tradition that's held on Christmas Eve. Um, my mother is Cuban, so therefore we have this party every single year, and we've always been very welcoming of our family and our friends to come celebrate with us. Uh, my family's Spanish from Spain, and we also do something kind of similar on Noche Buena, and we eat a lot of food, which I'm sure you do too, um, but we don't really have as much music as I think you guys do. Yeah, music is a really big part of our culture, especially in Cuba. Um, I grew up around that music, you know, so it's a way of connecting with your family members, and it's super fun to always just dance yourself through the night with that music, and um, my family also eats a lot of food on Noche Buena. It's a very big feast every time. and We use some music to dance off all those carbs and stuff. We also heard that your father was French. Are there any traditions on that side of your family? Yeah, um, Le Réveillon, it's a French tradition. Um, it's also held on Christmas Eve. It's very similar to Noche Buena. Um, we celebrate it because my dad, as you said, is part French and food comes in and ties in with our Cuban culture there. So although this is just one of the traditions from this time of year, there are many more to be uncovered later in the episode. I remember a couple of years ago when I had just started to play the cello. Both my brothers play the violin, so we decided to play around and see if we could play some holiday tunes by ear. I wasn't very good at it, but it was a fun way to bring the family together. Although this was one of my first times playing holiday music, it has actually been around for thousands of years. Some of the most popular songs today are about Christmas, but the history behind these joyful carols goes much deeper than we think to look. Some of the first Christmas music originally started in the 4th century, and one of the first known Christmas songs was a Catholic hymn called Jesus Refusit Omnium. Too bad the first Christmas song wasn't Jingle Bells, it might have lifened up life in the 4th century a bit. Yeah, well, the idea of an actual Christmas carol didn't really come around until 1426 with an English priest and poet named John Adelaide. So you know, it was a pretty long creative process there before we got to Jingle Bells. Well, good job, Adelaide. Christmas carols are now one of the most popular Christmas traditions, and joyful carolers can be seen all around the world during the holiday season. Now that we've covered the basics of Christmas carols, I actually want to talk about some other holidays coming up this season. You may have heard of Kwanzaa, but not many people actually know very much about it. 
Kwanzaa is an American holiday meant to celebrate African-American culture and heritage, especially Swahili, which is used to represent African unity. The holiday was created as part of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Being so new, it has relatively few traditions when compared with the other holidays of the season. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have music. A lot of it is Western music, which is either directly linked with the holiday or simply songs that focus on its central themes. The other half of the music is mostly more traditional African music. This mainly consists of drumming and dancing, but it also has string instruments, rattles, and unique instruments like slit drums, which are hollowed out logs with a slit at the top and are played by striking the drum with a mallet. Overall, the music in Kwanzaa is adaptive and inclusive of many cultures and has changed a lot in a short amount of time. And while Kwanzaa is a relatively recent holiday, the celebration of Hanukkah dates back to over 2,000 years. And we've all learned about the dreidel and menorah, but Hanukkah is far different than what it's made out to be. Exactly! Not many people know that Hanukkah is actually not one of the main celebrations in Judaism. It comes behind Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in September. It celebrates the rededication of a temple in Israel after years of Judaism being outlawed and the miracle of one small vial of oil burning for seven days and seven nights. But Hanukkah has become the most widely known Jewish holiday because it happens near Christmas. It's turned from a minor holiday to a time to get the family together and give gifts, especially in America. However, Hanukkah still serves traditional foods like latkes and sufganya. One of the most famous pieces celebrating Hanukkah is the Hanukkah Suite by Jason Brown. Two of the movements use music and lyrics that are central to the celebration of Hanukkah. The piece celebrates perseverance and miracles. Music is nice to listen to. Depending on what you want to listen to, it can create a liking or disliking of that music. Holiday music is no different. Holiday music has its place among people, and it's expressed during the holiday season. Can holiday music be overplayed, like causing people to dislike it more than before? It can. In fact, a study done in 2011 by Consumer Reports found that 23% of Americans don't look forward to listening to holiday music. Hearing lots of holiday music can lead to annoyance, boredom, or fatigue. There is a bright side to holiday music, though. To prevent feeling annoyed, you can add some variety to the music that you listen to, like a favorite song or songwriters. Even with a little bit of change in the music that you hear, it can relieve stress from their lives. Another plus side of holiday music is that it can bring back old memories that can create feelings of joy and happiness. Even a simple winter smell that relates to a memory can bring it back, too. Have you ever listened to a holiday song that was new? Nope. The same popular holiday music is played over and over again. In department stores and on the radio. There's no escaping it. That's because there aren't really that many new holiday music songs. Because the older and more popular ones seem to bring back memories like I said. So each year, the same songs play and those same memories come back. And now to Helen Carlson, who is meeting with Emily Heron from the Colorado Ballet. Hello, Miss Heron. I'm Helen. Hi. You can call me Emily. I'm the Education Department Director over here at Colorado Ballet. It's nice to meet you. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so, 
We're wondering if you could start off the interview by telling us a little bit, um, a little summary of the Nutcracker. Yeah, for sure. So the story begins with uh, a really festive holiday uh, party for Clara and her family. And at the party, Clara is gifted this mysterious wooden nutcracker by her magical godfather, Air Drosselmeyer. And the night after the party, just before midnight, Clara goes back downstairs into the living room to check on her nutcracker. um, And she gets scared by life-size mice. And... Air Drosselmeyer comes and scares the mice away, and then he uses his magic to command the tree to grow, like, ten times its size, Um, and then he transforms the Nutcracker doll into a a life-size doll. And then the mice come back, and they bring their king, and a battle ensues, and uh, Nutcracker has his soldiers, and the mice and and the mouse king are all fighting, Um, but then once once triumphant, the Nutcracker transforms into a human prince and takes Clara on a magical journey, starting with the land of the snow. And that kind of wraps Act 1. And then Act 2 opens on the kingdom of the Sugar Plum Fairy. And Clara is introduced to dancers from many lands that all perform for her, including the Sugar Plum Fairy. And then at the very end of this sort of festive occasion, the prince takes Clara home And when she wakes up, she wonders, was it all a dream? It was, when it first came out, the legend kind of says that it was a total flop. Um, People hated it, even though the music, the Nutcracker Suite OP71, was instantly popular. It took about 100 years for the complete ballet to achieve the popularity as, like, the Christmas performance event that it is now. Um, And... I chatted with our ballet master, Sandy Brown, um, about kind of the history of the Nutcracker in general, uh, the history of Colorado Ballet's Nutcracker, um, and, and some of those changes. So the Nutcracker, she shared how the Nutcracker was first performed in 1892 in St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, to the score um, by Tchaikovsky. And it was choreographed by Mary Miss Petipa, who fell ill and then got finished by his sis- assistant, uh, Lev Ivanov. So there have been many choreographers since that have had their own versions. Some even add their own music. Um, and then I talked to her about Colorado Ballet's version specifically. And her and our artistic director, Gil Boggs, joined the company in, 2005, in 2006. And this is a fun little nugget. They studied the story in the, or they studied the show that Colorado Ballet had done in 2005 and decided what do they want to do? What do they want to keep? What do they want to change? Um, and there used to be a giant teddy bear in the first act that they took out because of the danger of injury to the dancer in the teddy bear costume. Um, apparently, they once fell into the orchestra pit because they couldn't see. Um, so that had to go, and they replaced it with the soldier doll dance. And since then, they've made subtle changes over the years with different variations and different lifts for like the principal dancers, um, just to keep it exciting and fresh so that no two shows are alike, and it always keeps the audience inspired. So the Nutcracker is so popular and it's been around for so long. Um, on a non-COVID year, how how many um, how many people are you seeing in the audience? So, I don't have I don't have exact numbers, but our Ellie Calkins Opera House Theater seats two thousand and eighty people, and we usually have about. 27, 28 performances, kind of depending how the calendar falls, and they always sell out completely. 
Um, so I asked our director of patron services, and he said that um, we average about 50,000 viewers. Um, last year, we had 55,000 viewers. Wow. I was wondering about how many, about how long you actually do end up prepare, preparing for it and sort of like the culture amongst the, um, the staff and how it's been affected by COVID. Yeah, we refer to this time of year as nutcracker season. Um, and sometimes we'll start hearing Nutcracker music from the office, which is down the hall from the studios. We'll start hearing music in October. Um, and that's that's just kind of the signal of it's the time of the year. Um, and all of, all of the departments, all the parts of Colorado Ballet do work together to make Nutcracker happen. And we all celebrate Nutcracker season in kind of our own ways. Um, for example, my department is really focused on schools and community, so we do a lot of programming around Nutcracker, and we do story times in libraries and try ballet in classrooms. Um, and I would say it's a really joyful time. We usually have kind of an office holiday party, um, and the dancers, because they spend so much time backstage, I mean, they'll spend every weekend from Thanksgiving until New Year's really um, in the theater and sometimes on Wednesdays and Thursdays as well. They do, they have a bunch of fun traditions and sometimes they do gift exchanges and stuff like that. So it's really a good time for um, bonding and our Nutcracker family is, is part of who we celebrate the season with. How can our listeners still support you this year? We're trying to get 2,080 donations in Nutcracker season to fill each of those seats I mentioned in the theater, um, to virtually fill them. And in ex- and this is, this is sort of like what we are doing to stay afloat, and we are really excited to be partnered with Rocky Mountain PBS to have broadcasts that started on Thanksgiving, um, so Anybody in Colorado can watch Rocky Mountain PBS broadcasting our 2019 Nutcracker. Um, And then they can also catch it on our website. And through the education department, we have an exclusive opportunity to watch the Nutcracker with some behind-the-scenes content and interviews and activities um, for schools. So it sounds like um, you can still watch The Nutcracker from last year on PBS and our listeners can also donate to help support you guys through the, through the pandemic. Absolutely, yeah. And all that information is available at colloradoballet.org. What makes our Nutcracker an audience favorite and the music is one of those and how it's familiar and recognizable. You hear it in the mall this time of year. Um, everything about the experience is festive and fun. It captures the spirit of the season. Um, and our show is really family friendly. So the story is easy to follow and the magic adds, the magic bits add kind of a fun element for both kids and adults. So this has become, I think, a real annual tradition for families each year, but also a generational tradition that can keep getting passed down. One of the questions that you had sent me before was the significance of performing with a live orchestra versus a recording. And I love this because a live orchestra creates a fluid and flexible exchange um, between artists. It's collaborative, it's responsive. The conductor actually watches the dancers and adjusts as needed. Um, And this is a lovely quote from Adam Flat, Colorado Ballet's music director and principal conductor. He says, if I'm around, 
it means that there is live music. But I imagine that for my colleagues on the stage, the difference between live and canned music is similar to the difference for an actor engaging in dialogue with another live actor versus with a mannequin. The dancers and I interact. We breathe together, give and take. It's never exactly the same way twice. With recorded music, it's always the same way twice. I just love how he says that. I think when you hear the the music that goes along with the Nutcracker, just the um, the the different moods throughout and how they correlate with the with the different scenes and the themes that continue all the way through the entire piece. I think I think it's definitely a really important part of of the Nutcracker, and I think it's, like you said earlier, it's part of what makes it so popular. Yeah, it's. T- absolutely integral. I think that the ballet and the music don't hold quite the power individually as they do together. Of course, both are absolute incredible works of art, but when you put them together, it just takes it to that next level. Yes. Um, Thank you so much for um, agreeing to this interview. The information you've given us is very valuable. And now for episode two of Musical's original story, Arca, narrated by Daniel Guerrero. In 1892, within a small inn on the corner of High Holborn Street, the conductor retrieves another keg of beer from the cool cellar. Above, he can discern the sounds of quiet chatter and glasses clanking on tabletops. Unlike in the common area where patrons rest above, no fire roars here in the cellar, and the cold winter air chills his old bones. Tonight is Christmas Eve, and those who are not spending this night with their families flock here for comfort and warmth. From the cellar, the conductor can barely make out the sound of the bell chiming above the door as more people enter. Making his way to the door of the cellar with the new keg, he pauses. The sound of music begins to fill the inn. It seems tonight's music has begun. He listens for a moment. The performers, as the conductor recalls, had only been interested in playing for that single night. In addition, when they had approached him the previous day, they had mentioned that they would be performing with a singer who is not currently with them. The keg weighs on him as the conductor climbs the stairs, cursing his ancient back. He is pleasantly surprised by the music. As he reaches the top of the stairs, panting, he stops to consider. The music sounds familiar. Not the song itself, but the voice of the mystery singer. Where am I? As he steps out into the main room, the music becomes louder and clearer. He looks up and is suddenly shocked with recognition when he sees the young singer on stage. Hopefully she hasn't seen him yet, he spins on his heel and begins to hurry back towards the door of the cellar, away from her. Turning back for a split second, checking to see if she had noticed him, it seems he is too late. She locks eyes with him, a sly smile spreading across her face. Oh god no. Thank you everyone. Before our next song, I'd like you all to wish the lovely old gentleman in the bath, a dear friend and colleague of mine, Merry Christmas. The conductor reddens as the small inn fills with merry tidings, and marches back to the bar with a scowl. Hasn't changed a bit, that one. A couple of hours later, the conductor is wiping down tables near the bar. As a new group takes the stage, the girl, Claire, saunters over as the rest of her band packs their instruments. Her reddish-brown hair and heart-shaped, almost owl-like face still looks 25. She hasn't aged a day since he saw her last. Was that really necessary? Oh, come now, Vince. It was just a warm welcome from an old friend. Besides, don't you enjoy all the attention? The conductor, Vincent by name, grumbles unintelligibly and offers nothing in response. Well, anyways, long time no see. What are you here for? 
You know, it never changes. I just listen. Ladies and gentlemen, music's most devoted academic. Say, how would you like to join us for dinner tonight? Meet some people who aren't snooty prodigies for once? They were not. Regardless, I'm very busy, you know. At least one of us has to keep up our duties. It's Christmas, for God's sake. Don't spoil the mood. Come on, join us. When was the last time you took a break? Besides, I've already told them you'd come. Vincent sighs and gives up. Of course you did. The inn is noticeably more elegant than his own, and is filled with the sounds of polite, quiet conversations and clinking glasses. Leon, the violinist, is a jolly older man who makes repeated attempts at socializing with the old conductor, who half-heartedly participates. Good food here, eh? Always love good food. <sighs> Claire speaks endlessly of her adventures traveling with the group. The pianist and trumpet player, Henry and Dale, sit quietly, occasionally smiling or nodding in agreement. So then, we're stuck sleeping on the streets, and as I said, it's terribly cold. I'm thinking to myself, are we really going to be stuck out here all night? When suddenly, the door of the inn swings open and the innkeeper just tosses a man out onto the snow. Looked like he couldn't pay for the night, so I go up and ask him. The evening drones on in this way for what Vincent feels to be several days. Finally, he notices an opening, hurriedly interjects. Goodness, look at the time. I should be going. I have uh, plans for the evening. Merry Christmas, then. You're leaving already? Afraid so. N nice seeing you then, Claire. Hang on a moment. Why don't we come back to the inn with you? We could certainly use a room for the night. Right, everyone? Of course. Always. Hold on, just, uh... Come on. I know you don't have real plans anyway. Even someone as grumpy as you shouldn't spend Christmas alone. It is later that night when she comes in with a question on her tongue. Claire knocks on the old door. There is no answer, so she walks in. Vincent, I need another blanket. Don't you hate this place? She is alone in the dark room. There's a stack of books directly in front of her that reaches to her waist. They are all old and tattered titles, elegant in their own way, but that is not what draws her gaze. Sitting on top of the pile is a box. She stands with her gaze fixated on the little box. It could easily fit in her hand and is made out of reddish brown wood. There are scratches and chips in it, but no other markings. She takes a step towards it. The world seems to fade around her. The sound of the cuckold winter wind stops. She reaches out to touch it, but hesitates. Her hand so close to the box, Claire can almost feel the smooth, worn wood between her fingers. At the last moment, some instinct, from where she doesn't know, causes her to pull her hand back. No clue as to what has just happened, she senses that Vincent would not be at all amused to find her snooping around in his study. Before he can return, she turns on her heel and walks out of the room to look for a blanket. She decides that she will return with a different question at a later date.